You're listening to the Everyday Style School podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Mackey Mary, and I've been dressing real women just like you for over 20 years. Now I'm on a mission to help women all around the world create easy, effortless style without confusion and overwhelm. If you're ready to create a wardrobe you love and feel confident every day so you can live the life you want, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, gorgeous. Welcome back to the Everyday Style School podcast, the show that teaches you everything your mom never did about getting dressed. Today, we are taking a break from clothes to talk about a subject that I think is really, really important. And I know a lot of women, myself included, struggle with, and that is sleep. The CDC estimates that one in three adults is sleep deprived. And while studies have shown women need more sleep than men, the same studies show we get less sleep than they do. So whether you have trouble falling asleep, or staying asleep, or you're just chronically tired, today's guest is going to help us get better sleep. Dr. Valerie Cacho is an integrative sleep medicine doctor, writer, and speaker for women's sleep and wellness topics. She created Sleepphoria as a women's sleep and wellness platform to improve access to quality and expert medical and health info. Sleepphoria was founded on the belief that a well-rested woman has the energy, clarity, and drive to change the world. Uh, yeah, amen to that. Dr. Val, we need you. We all need you. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me. Happy to be here. Every woman I know is tired all the time. But first, I got to ask. So you went to medical school. You are a medical doctor, correct? Yes, that's right. What sparked your interest in sleep as a specialty within the whole medical profession? Great question. And Honestly, for me, it was lifestyle. So I grew up in you know, a family of physicians. My father is a cardiologist, and he was really never home, never really slept. He did emergencies. Someone had a heart attack. He'd be in the hospital at 2, 3 a.m. And I didn't want that lifestyle. I knew I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have kids. And interestingly enough, one of his good friends was a sleep doctor. So early on, I think I was in high school or college, I heard his friend give a talk about sleep. And then I just learned more about it. When I was in medical school, I did a rotation in it. And if you take a look at sleep medicine as a specialty, there's really no sleep emergencies. So I wouldn't, you know, even though we're sleeping at night, I wouldn't necessarily have to be called to wake up and go to the hospital. So lifestyle was definitely a good sort of one of the biggest reasons why I chose sleep as my specialty. But also what I really like is the impact it has from more of a holistic standpoint, a more a preventive standpoint. And, you know, when you take a look at um, primary care, and that's really what attracted me because I was really interested in relationships, you know, being able to follow people for a long time. It was really just sort of getting down to how can I make an impact? And then part of that was as also I wanted to be an expert in something. You know, when you go in primary care, you know, the doctors are fantastic, but there's also sort of a jack of all trades. I really wanted to be a specialist and sleep just really called me mm -hmm. because it can impact so many different aspects of your life, right? You know, how you eat, how you move your body, you know, how well your brain works. Sleep is so foundational for that. And, you know, I really like the information that you started out with, with the CDC data. A lot of us aren't getting enough sleep. I think a lot of that is due to our culture. We're still a little bit of a hustle culture, um, sort of capitalist culture, right? You know, continually grinding it out. Mm -hmm. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'll sleep when I'm retired. But it's almost like, no, if you sort of reverse that psychology, well, sleep now, then you're in a better, better mental state, right? Your brain works better, right? <laughs> you can get more energy to do what you want to do. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I want to touch on why sleep is so important, but first I got to back up because you were talking about hustle culture and all that good stuff. You are in Hawaii, right? Enjoying, are you in Hawaii or are you in California now? Yeah. So I go back and forth. My practice is physically in Hawaii. And I think maybe when we met, I was in Hawaii, but I, I live in California now. Okay. So yeah, I'm physically in California, but my patients are in Hawaii. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Uh, you know what? You got to love the internet. So I read this thing as I was researching about sleep and why it's important, all that good stuff, that Hawaiians are actually the most sleep deprived. And I would think like island life, like- Yeah. <laughs> it does not match. How are you stressed in Hawaii? You know what I'm saying? Like the, to me, that does not, it does not jive with that. Exactly. I thought the same thing when I first moved there about in 2015. I was thinking like, it's such a beautiful place. It's paradise. You know, how can you be depressed? You can just go to the beach. But really what it is, I think it really comes down to economics, Jennifer. It's pretty expensive to live there, right? You know, a lot of the products that they get, right, have to be imported. So, you know, unless you're wealthy from your family, you know, a lot of people sort of need to have two or even three jobs. And depending on where on the island you live, and I'm talking mainly about Oahu because it's sort of the busiest island, sometimes your commute can be an hour, two hours, depending on traffic. You know, there's not a lot of highways there. So if there's a car accident, you know, that can just add so much more time to commute. So everyone thinks that it's just like this no worries paradise, and yet everyone is like stressed and working all the time. <laughs> Thanks for thanks for bursting the bubble. Yeah. Well, I think part of it too is when you live in a place that has a lot of sunlight, people don't sleep as much, right? Because you're sort of out and about, you have like more time and opportunity to do so versus you took a look like at Alaska, right? When it's dark, you know, there's yeah. not a lot of activities you can do. So I think you spend more time sleeping during the, during the winter. So economics, but also, you know, climate can definitely play a role. This conversation is going in a very different direction, but there is a woman that I follow on TikTok or Instagram, and I'm obsessed with her. And I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes if you guys want to go stalk her life. But she lives in this tiny island 30 miles from the North Pole. Oh, my goodness. And so they have Polar Day, where it is light for four months, four solid months. Like the sun doesn't even set for two of them. Wow. And then they have polar night where it is completely dark for four months. The sun does not even rise. Like it is oh my. pitch dark for two months a year. And I think, oh my gosh, I would just like eat cheese and carbs and nap for four months. Like I couldn't, Minnesota's hard enough. Like I, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could do that. All right, let's get back on track, Dr. Val. Why is sleep so important? Oof, that's a, such a heated question. So when I get asked that question, I sort of think down like a top-down approach. So starting from like your brain, right? Okay. When you don't get enough quality sleep, either if you have an underlying medical condition or if you have different factors in your life, you know, having young kids, taking care of an elderly parent, or you know having to work multiple jobs, it's actually inflammatory to your body, right? So your brain actually doesn't work as well. There's a system called the glymphatic system, which basically is the trash collectors. And this happens when we have deep sleep. And so if we're short, changing ourselves on sleep, you know, the toxins from not the day gets built up and, you know, we start to have issues like with brain fog. Um, our emotional regulation uh, can get sort of 
off off kilter. We're not getting enough sleep. I'm sure one of the first things that I feel like when I don't get enough sleep, I'm a little bit more short with my kids <laughs> and even my husband. Mood is one of the first things to go, right? Yeah. You're just tired, right? You just can't handle, you know, a toddler having a meltdown because he doesn't want to brush his teeth. Um, another factor, right? Your hormones of metabolism. And so, you know, I just wrote about this, you know, food and sleep really go hand in hand. So if you're not sleeping enough, they've actually slept deprived college kids, or they've done studies on nurses who work night shift. If you work at night, typically you sleep less overall. And there are certain hormones that are impacted by that. Think of ghrelin, like a gremlin makes you want to eat more. Um, That goes up. Leptin puts the break on your appetite. That goes down. So, you know, women in midlife who are sleep deprived for whatever reason, um, if you're not getting enough sleep and you're worried about your weight, I mean, certainly hormonal changes can play a role, but take a look at your sleep. Because it's not just about willpower. There's actually inflammation's going up. The cortisol's going up. The ghrelin makes you want to eat more. So sleep is really great, right, for that. Because when you have enough sleep, right, you have enough energy to plan out a meal, go to the grocery store, right? Think about all the energy it takes to even, you know, chop all the veggies, right? Clean up after yourself, right? Versus, oh man, I've had a really long day, maybe a little stressed out. I'm just going to go to the drive-thru. How easy is that? Yeah. So, you know, definitely I am guilty of that as well. So yeah, our diet, our metabolism, the way our brain functions, um, our memory works better when, when we get better sleep as well. Our heart health, going back to that inflammation, when we're not getting enough sleep, right, our cortisol level goes high and that can affect things like our blood pressure, our risk for, you know, getting diabetes can be affected. Even our immune system, they've done studies where they've actually given someone a common cold and, um, you know, they took a look at subjects who slept more than six hours and subjects who less, slept less than six hours. And those, I mean, they gave both the people um, the common cold, like just through the nose, people who slept less than six hours were more likely to feel sick versus sleeping longer. So immune system is definitely part of that. Wow. So it's a whole system. It affects it, everything. Okay. So something you kept referencing over and over, if we're not getting enough sleep, enough sleep, how do you know if you're, well... What is enough sleep? Like, does everybody need eight hours of sleep a night? Like, is that the gold standard and everyone does need that? Yeah, that's a good question. And I feel like we're sort of culturated to feel like eight hours is the number. You know, I have some patients that come to me and say, you know, Dr. Cacho, you know, I read in, you know, Reader's Digest, I read online, you know, that if you don't get eight hours of sleep, I'm going to get dementia. And, you know, dementia is like, you know, a big part of sleep, definitely. But you know, it's only one piece of the pie. So research does recommend between seven to nine hours, but you have to take a look at where you are along that spectrum. You know, in terms of heart health, at least six hours is recommended. Um, People who sleep less than that have higher rates of high blood pressure, heart attacks, and stroke. But seven to nine um, is, you know, what we do recommend in sort of clinical sleep medicine. Aside from that, you know, I think of sleep as your energy stores, right? So are you going to have a really busy day the next day, right? Or is it going to be a lazy Sunday where you're just going to go out and have brunch with your friends? You know, if it's, you know, a busy day, you need to be really on top of things, you have a couple of meetings, you really need to be hyper-focused, probably really best to prioritize your sleep to figure out, you know, how much do I need? And that's really individualized. You know, I personally feel better at eight, eight and a half hours. I definitely can function at seven, but, you know, I'm reading the same line in the email over and over. <laughs> like things just don't work, don't compute as well. But also, you know, 
we have so much, I would say, distractions, but also entertainment. So I feel like during the work week, I'm a little bit better about how much sleep I get. And then on the weekends, if I do, you know, have a show that I want to watch, you know, I, I do allow myself sort of that enjoyment because part of life, right, is also enjoyment. And so, you know, on the weekends, if I don't have meetings, right, if, you know, I'm not working, you know, I think it's okay to get a little bit less sleep. Yeah, but it's, it's finding what works best for you. So how much sleep that you need. But I think also, Jennifer, the question to ask is your timing of sleep, because built mm -hmm. within us is this circadian rhythm. And I have a lot of people who come to see me and they think they have insomnia because, you know, they have to wake up at five o'clock, drive to work, you know, they maybe they work in a school system or they work for a job where they have to physically be there in person. And then it's like, okay, if I'm waking up at five, I have to go to bed by 10. And guess what? They're not tired at 10, right? Yeah. Because they're a night owl. Yeah. So on the weekends, maybe they're sleeping at midnight or maybe after midnight. And if they go on vacation, maybe they're sleeping at one or two. But they've been told, right, I have to have X amount of sleep. And if I don't, then you're going to have all these health consequences. So they're trying to force themselves to sleep at 10. So it's knowing when your body clock is needing to go to sleep, right, how it's adjusted. But you, if you're a night owl, you can also shift your clock back. But sometimes it's a little bit better if you can, you know, have a job where you don't have to wake up so early. I was going to ask though, what do you do? I'm, I don't have any night owl, owl problems, completely the opposite. If anyone wants to call me at like 6.30, I'm up, let's go have coffee. But what if you are a night owl, but real life demands that you get up and get to work at, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock? What do you do then? Yeah. So our circadian rhythm is based on light, darkness, and melatonin. So the best way to actually shift your clock back to sleep earlier is to get more sunlight in the morning time, right? Sunlight is what shifts your clock back. And then also being really mindful about how much light you get an hour before your bedtime because light in the evening time pushes you away from sleep. People, you know, like you mentioned that that, um, that person that lives, you know, in the pole, uh, near the North Pole, right? You know, some people who don't have access to much light um, and it's dark out, they actually may need a little bit of melatonin to help shift their clock back. We're going to be talking more about melatonin in a little bit. Okay, good. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things to talk about. But there are ways to shift your clock. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm excited. Okay, so what can I do if I want to, if I want, like I'm done at nine o'clock at night. I'm done. Maybe in the, in the summertime, like 10, 1030, but I'm done at nine. Is there a way for early birds to shift it a little bit? Yeah, same. So light at night will push you away from sleep. So get exposed to more light. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And bright light. So it has to be bright enough to mimic natural sunlight. So about 10,000 lux. So one of my favorite questions for more of the night owl people who are trying to shift their clock back, if they don't have time, right, to sit outside, right, or they're not in an environment where they have access to natural sunlight, what they can actually do is buy those um, seasonal affective disorder mm -hmm. lamps, right? Um, you know, that bright light, at least 10,000 lux, um, and just sit by by your desk if you if you have a desk job. And if you don't, there's actually glasses that have the bright light shining into your eyeballs oh. um, that'll help shift your clock back. So it takes about, you know, 30 minutes. If you do it for, you know, about two weeks, you can actually shift your clock back. That is so fascinating. It doesn't actually take that long. I know. And it's, you know, if you live in a place, you know, I, I sort of spoiled because all my patients are basically in California and, and Hawaii. And I'm like, it's free here. <laughs> so yeah. you don't have to get that light box. But, you know, yeah. if you work in a building with no windows, that definitely affects, you know, your, your sleep. Yeah. Your, your circadian rhythm, your internal clock. How do you know, other than like, I mean, I think crabbiness and irritability are two very clear signs that you're tired. 
how do you know if you're trying to figure out your seven to nine hour where you fall in this spectrum? How do you know if you're getting enough sleep? Yeah. So crappy irritability, needing to nap, um, caffeine intake, you know, if that's starting to shift. Um, that's a good question. But I think it's almost like, you know, doing some sleep diaries, some energy diaries, right? And just sort of reflecting on, you know, how you feel if you get more, you know, if you're able to go on vacation and hopefully you're on a vacation where you rest, you know, are you more rested? Um, the vacation part is a little bit tricky because that sort of means people sleep better oftentimes because they're removed from their home environment where it can be a little bit more stressful. Um, but it's almost like taking a look at, you know, what your life looks like, you know, are you falling asleep in meetings, right? You know, is, is your focus not as good? Yeah, definitely for me, I think it's the caffeine. When I feel like I need, you know, more than two to three cups of, you know, coffee or tea, um, it's, yeah, it's a big sign. Are there some people who are just better sleepers than other, other people? I've always, I'm just a bad sleeper. It's not a skill I have. I've never been good at it. You know, as a baby, I was up at five in the morning. As a teenager, I was up at five and I'm just not a good sleeper. Are there people who just... It's not a skill they have? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and a lot of the work that I do, because I help a lot of people who have insomnia, it's taking a look at their mindset, but also taking a look back at the programming you have in and around sleep. You know, it really may not be you, Jennifer. It may have been your parents, right? You know, if your parents maybe weren't as strict with your bedtime, with your wake-up time, with the wind-down routine, um, there are certain genetics, right? You know, we know from twin studies, insomnia can run in families. And also, some people just have a very active creation mind. And so one of my favorite things that um, help people learn about sleep is sleep occurs when your brain waves slow down. So if you're a bit of a more hyper person overall, it's a little bit harder to fall asleep and even stay asleep, especially in the early morning. In the early morning, we have a natural rise of our cortisol level and that is what helps wake us up. But also, you know, when we're sleeping, you know, five, six, seven hours, we're not eating, right? So our liver has to make um, more sugar. And so that cortisol helps. And so if you're a little bit more of an active person, maybe a little bit more stressed out person, your baseline cortisol levels are a little bit higher. And so as that cortisol level is naturally going up, if your cortisol level is a little bit higher, you may wake up a little bit earlier than you already intend to. That's interesting. So for someone like that, who has trouble staying asleep, it might be more like mindfulness and, yeah. you know, relaxation and that sort of thing. I would like to say my husband is the best sleeper in the world. The best. I mean, <laughs> he can fall asleep in the middle of a conversation. He can fall, Like his head hits the pillow and he is out. I'm always so impressed and also annoyed because I would love, that would be like the best skill in the whole wide world. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So I love to ask this question of experts. What are some common mistakes you see women making around sleep or what are some bad habits that, that you see often? Yeah. So I want to preface that, Jennifer, and I love that question, is that no one is a perfect sleeper 100% of the time, right? Okay. I think we're all human. Give yourself some grace. I think for women, especially women who are working and have kids, we just have a lot to do. And I think that's just probably a part of our culture, but we're always helping other people, I think, before we help ourselves. And by the time the kids are done, the dishes are, you know, clean, uh, all, all, the, all the laundry is folded, right? Then we use the nighttime hours as time for ourselves versus, okay, and then what are you cutting mm -hmm. out if you're using that time for yourself while you're cutting out on sleep versus, you know, can we have small breaks throughout the day where 
we do have that time for ourselves. You know, self-care is sort of used a lot, but I feel like a lot of busy working moms are not, not even if you're a mom, if you're, if you're busy, right, you steal away time from sleep to do other things, whether it just be relaxation. Yeah. So I think that's, I think, one of the biggest issues that, that women have. We just, we just, we're caregivers, we're helpers, and we help other people before we help ourselves. Yeah, I I really think that taking the time at the end of the day for yourself mm-hmm. and taking it from sleep, I think, especially when your kids are little, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, my kids go to bed by themselves now. I can I can watch whatever show I want to watch at nine instead of waiting at nine. <laughs> it is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But now I'm so programmed. Like that is me time. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's when I don't have to share my chocolate. So that's when I'm going to eat my chocolate. You know what I mean? Mm. So I can see that as being a, a big thing. What about technology? Yeah. Technology is tricky because it's so interesting that there's a lot of apps that can help promote sleep mm-hmm. and stress relief. But at the same time, you know, our phone, there's also apps for entertainment, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's the news, right? You know, there's a social media. So there's a lot of, I would say, attachments and associations with our phones. And again, you know, I'm definitely guilty of using my phone at night. Uh, one of the biggest problems with using your phone at night is it's like, you know, a couple inches from your face. <laughs> and mm-hmm. going back to your circadian clock, if you have such bright light going into your eyeballs, it can delay the release of your melatonin. So if you, if you have a hard time falling asleep, you know, and you're going to use your phone, you know, try to do something more of, you know, an audio um, where you're not, you know, you're not looking at that bright light. But also being mindful of the things that you're feeding your brain, right? So going back to sleep occurs when your brain waves slow down. So if you're looking at something, reading something, watching something that's really stimulating, um, you know, whether it be a positive or negative stimulation, right, you know, probably best not to do it right before you go to bed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like the exciting shows, not right before bed, mm-hmm. but those earlier. Yeah. Um, unless it's, you know, unless it's relaxing, but at the same time, you know. I've had people who read like murder mystery novels and then go to sleep and then they dream about it and have nightmares. And it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, you probably shouldn't do that. Guilty, guilty. Like, oh, a serial <laughs> killer show? That sounds great right before bed. No, my favorite thing to get to sleep is the podcast, Nothing Much Happens. I'll put the link in the show notes. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. <gasps> I love it. It's bedtime stories where literally nothing much happens. There's one episode about organizing your pantry. If there is a Duller topic. I don't know what it would be, but they're so good. They are so good. I can pretty much guarantee that by the end of that, they're like 30 minutes and she reads a story twice. Oh, okay. The second time is so painfully slow, but it just, your brain just shuts off and you're out. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And that's great. You know, you mentioned that it's painfully yeah. slow because you want your brain yeah. to slow down, right? Yeah. That's what she always I said. know people who listen to podcasts at like double speed and it's like, okay, how, how does that not make you, your brain wired? No, 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 no. It's a good one. It's a really good one. So what is normal when it comes to sleep? Like we talked about insomnia. Insomnia is something that I have struggled with pretty much all my life. I can remember being seven and having weeks where I could not sleep at all. What's normal when it comes to insomnia or waking often in the night? Like what, when, when are you like, okay, it's just a thing that happens. And when is it something to be concerned about? Oh, I like this question because I think when we, you know, consume information and like there's health gurus out there, they don't always make the distinction between like normal, healthy 
worried well adults versus someone who has potentially a pathological medical condition, right? So I'll the first to find insomnia and maybe then make distinctions between what's normal and not normal. Um, insomnia is a condition, it's a sleep disorder where you have difficulty falling asleep or difficulty staying asleep, but also daytime consequences, right? So, you know, feeling unwell, headaches, need to nap, having problems with memory, focus, or intention. Attention and if it lasts longer than three months, it's considered chronic insomnia. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kids can have issues with sleep and insomnia. Um, sometimes um, it could be through like sleep associations, right? Um, not having a you know a good wind down routine. But then you know, I guess the question is, is it a problem? Well, for kids, you would take a look at you know, are they having problems in school? Right? Are they too hyper? Right? Sometimes kids can have ADHD as a result of not sleeping enough. Versus adults are more um, sleepy, right? Some kids certainly can be sleepy in the way you would ask that. You see, you know, are they are they falling asleep, you know, in the car or the drive home? Or as compared to their friends, right? Do they, you know, they do they not last as long at the playground, right? They have to sit down. I'd say for adults, right? How do you know if it's a problem? Well, sort of the same thing, you know. Are you having a hard time focusing, you know, at work? Um, do you feel like your memory is an issue? You know, are you having problems maybe with your blood pressure? Right. You know, maybe if you have a mental health condition like depression or anxiety, is that not getting better? So those are things sort of to think about, to look at. Yeah. And so especially maybe if, you know, in terms of um, waking up at night, because it almost depends on how much sleep you're getting in total. Right. Because if you go to bed at nine and you're waking up at five, um, you know, that's still eight hours of sleep versus if you're more, okay, I'm more of a night owl, I go to bed at one and I wake up at five. Okay, then that could be more problematic if you're only sleeping four hours. But I think it goes back to the question of how much sleep do you need? So it's almost like, how do you feel during the day? Do you feel like you need more energy? If yes, then okay, this is probably, um, you know, it's probably a medical condition that needs to be addressed. There are normal awakenings at night. You know, we do have sleep stages, stage one, stage two, stage three, and then REM. And we cycle through these four stages about every 90 minutes. So the longer we're asleep, right, the less sleepy we actually get. And that's something called the homeostatic sleep drive. So basically, what I usually have is a, a water bottle. And just imagine, okay, you slept seven hours, that you know that's your the amount of sleep that you need to feel great. The bottle is empty in the morning. As the day goes on, this water level sort of increases. So you're building up this pressure and this pressure makes you feel sleepy. This pressure is also known as adenosine. And it's interesting because coffee can block those adenosine receptors. And so that's how it's sort of a little bit of a stimulant. And then oh. as you go to sleep, right, that pressure goes down. When that pressure goes down, let's say four hours later after you sleep, maybe the dog barks or, you know, maybe a bed partner snores and that wakes you up it could be harder to go back to sleep because you're not as sleepy. Yeah. So that could be like a normal thing. But also, right, it's almost like, is it a problem for you? <laughs> and that's how you would know, you know, to talk to your doctor about it or to see a, a professional. Yeah. It's all based on your symptoms. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk yeah. about sleep crutches or sleep aids or yeah. um, specifically talking about things like melatonin. Melatonin that you yeah. take, or you know, like an over-the-counter kind of Unisom thing, to prescription drugs. And I know you're a doctor. I'm not going to ask you for medical advice, but like, 
when is it too much of a good thing? Um, you know, especially like with the over the counter stuff with melatonin, can you just take melatonin every night forever or should you really not do that? Good question. And honestly, the research for melatonin is growing a lot beyond the world of sleep. So I'll talk about it using melatonin in the world of sleep. Melatonin, remember those sleep stages? Um, People sort of view it as a sleeping pill, but it's more of a regulator or a modulator or a supporter of our stages of sleep. So there's this nice graph that I like to show to patients and, you know, the homeostatic sleep drive, remember, all that is, is the longer you're awake, the sleepier you get, then as you sleep, that pressure starts to lessen. And this nice graph that I have is, you know, around after four or five hours of sleep, right, you're not as sleepy. And so that's the time of the night. Usually it's really dark and our melatonin levels are at a peak, right? And that can help keep us asleep. So that's why we have these two systems. Melatonin, all it is, it's a natural hormone that's released in response to darkness by a part of our brain called the pineal gland. And so it helps regulate the stages of sleep. Um, It's really fascinating because it has some anti-inflammatory properties, right? maybe even some anti-cancer properties. So, you know, through the whole pandemic, there's a lot of people saying, okay, take melatonin, maybe it'll help you from, you know, not getting COVID, which, you know, I don't think we have that data, but it's almost interesting, right? You know, can we use this as sort of like a vitamin D, right? Vitamin D, you know, vitamin C, can we use it as a vitamin? Long-term risks of melatonin, um, there's not really that I could see from any of the data. The thing that I caution people about if they're going to buy it, A, is where are you sourcing it from? There was a really big study in 2017 where they took like 30 brands of melatonin, the researchers, and, you know, say it says three milligrams on the bottle. Some had less than that or even no melatonin, and some had like over 400%. So melatonin in the U.S. is regulated as a food substance since it's a supplement, not as a prescription. Some countries, you actually need a prescription from a doctor to get it. With that said, it's if you are going to use melatonin, make sure it's a high-quality melatonin. From a medical standpoint, we use melatonin for shift work or jet lag. Um, as women get older, as men get older as well, you know, there's this theory that we release less melatonin, so around age 55, 60. Um, So there may be some utility for that, right? And then depending on where you live, right? If you don't have access um, to much sunlight, right? Right, you may need melatonin to help you sleep, so. So it doesn't really help you fall asleep, though, or does it? No, but the research show it does. I think, like, maybe eight minutes or something, The thing about it is it's almost like if you're going to use it at night when you're already going to go to sleep, wanting to use something to help you go to sleep may in fact allow you to fall asleep faster, right? It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you believe it'll help you work, it'll probably work. So it may be a little bit more of a placebo effect. Oftentimes what melatonin, it could be mixed with things like passionflower, lavender, magnesium. You know, sometimes it's a blend of like a sleep aid. Um, And those other substances actually do help the brainwaves slow down to help you sleep. Typically what I see in my practice though, Jennifer, is people who maybe have lifelong insomnia or maybe just an acute event, you know, like a death in the family or they had a new job and they've already tried like two or three sleeping pills and they still can't sleep. And what I let them know is that when you take these pills, these substances, whether it be over the counter or something prescribed by your doctor, is that the aim is 
you take this medication, it'll have a chemical effect and it'll slow down your brain waves. Sometimes your brain is just so powerful, it can bypass that chemical reaction and it can keep you from sleeping. Okay. That is good information. What about like over-the-counter sleeping, sleep aids, like a Unisom or, you know? Yeah, I'd say it can help in like short term. I think those things we worry about definitely long term, like Unisom, like Benadryl, they're basically antihistamines. So yeah, they make you feel drowsy as the side effect. But if your brain is so active, it can keep you from falling asleep. And then sometimes you can get used to these medications, these substances, and it can make it a little bit worse. And then um, even the Benadryls and some of the prescription medications have been associated with memory impairment as we get older. Oh. So there are some certain side effects, um, especially depending on how old you are. Typically for senior citizens, we worry about them being on sleeping pills because um, of the de- dementia risk, but also, right, you know, elderly people have to use the bathroom a lot. If you have to wake up in the middle of the night, have to use the bathroom, you're on a medication, that makes you feel drowsy, you fall and break your hip, and that could be a really bad, um, you know, a couple months, couple of years for you. So, yeah, it really just depends on the age and then the reason why someone's taking it. Okay, so short term is probably okay, just like pain medications, right? Got it. Probably okay for short term, but, you know, my favorite analogy is you fall and break your arm. You know, we give you pain medications because it's so uncomfortable, but the pain medication isn't going to, you know, fix the broken arm, right? Reset the bone, probably need surgery for that. And so the best treatment for someone who has insomnia is something called cognitive behavioral therapy, where we take a look at why you have a difficult time sleeping and basically reprogram your brain to help you sleep better again. Super helpful. Super helpful. So I will just share, um, <laughs> I'm currently trying to break my habit of um, melatonin and a sleeping pill. So my mom passed away a few months ago and five days later we got a brand new dog. So we had a lot of um, very stressful stuff and I'm a terrible sleeper anyway. Uh, But this dog has to be sleeping on me has to like, he's the, he's so sweet, but fun fact, I can't stand being touched when I sleep. And I'm the only person he wants, like, so we're really having, it's been a rough few months of sleep. So I started with like melatonin to help me fall asleep. Didn't really do anything, but now I'm learning why. Um, so then I added in a Unisom and then I would just wake up really groggy. I'm like, this is not a long-term solution. We cannot do this. So now I'm trying to break out of those and it's rough, man. It's rough. Yeah. No, I feel you. It is tricky. But I kind of felt like this is not, this is not a (laughs) long-term situation. Mm. Yeah, but sometimes, right, you know, if it's so stressful, it's hard to sleep. You just want, you know, like a couple of hours and you'll feel better and then you'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Now we, you know, I just tell my husband, like, I don't know, you just have to stay downstairs with a dog at least until I fall asleep or something. Yeah. So are you a little bit of a light sleeper too? I am a light sleeper. Yeah. I, it's, it's terrible. It's, this has never been a skill that I excel at. And mm-hmm. after my mom died, I went to the doctor you know, routine stuff. And they give you that little quiz, like, are you anxious and depressed? And, you know, mm-hmm, three mm-hmm. weeks since my mom died. I'm like, yes, I cry every day. You know what I mean? So we were talking about my sleep and she gave me, she gave me something to help me sleep. And she said, only take it when you need it. But my problem is I wake up like at two in the morning and then I'm just up and then you can't take things. Like, so I don't know when I'm going to need it. So I haven't, I haven't gone down that road at all, but you know, sleep for me, I think will always just be a lifetime battle. And I'm just jealous of of people who put their head on the pillow and go to sleep. That would be so lovely. So lovely. Anyway, that's, we all know that this show is just me getting answers to the problems I'm having. That's all this is. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, the thing about Jennifer is, you know, you're not alone, right? 30% of adults have difficulty sleeping at any given time. So by your vulnerability, vulnerability sharing what you've gone through, I'm sure there's many women out there who are going through something similar. So thank you. Yeah. Well, that's what I always figure. This math teacher back in, I don't know, seventh grade, he used to say, if you have the question, chances are other people have the question. Be brave enough to ask it. So this show is just me being brave enough to ask the questions. Okay. Sleep and aging. How does sleep change for women, especially as we age? How does menopause affect it? Perimenopause, all that good stuff. What what do we have to look forward to if we're not? <laughs> I'm gonna say, like, how do I paint this in the lightest, brightest picture as possible? I don't know if you can. <laughs> I can just give you the data. Going back to those sleep stages, right? One, two, three, and REM. One and two are the light stages. Three is the deep sleep. That's the restorative sleep. That's when, oh, we feel so good if we get enough of that sleep. And then REM is really our active sleep where we dream. As we get older, unfortunately, we have more light sleep and then we have less deep sleep and less REM sleep. Yeah. And that's just, age-related changes to our sleep architecture. You know, add in health problems, add in medication, right? That can disrupt our sleep. For menopause, the fluctuations of the hormones, so having less progesterone, progesterone is known as sort of the rest hormone, um, that can actually disrupt your sleep, having a hard time falling asleep or stay asleep. So I always encourage patients, if they do have difficulty sleeping and they are going through perimenopause, menopause, you know, talk to your doctor to see if you're a candidate for being on the hormone replacement therapy. Um you know, the, the risks aren't as bad as we initially thought. And so it can really help support someone's sleep. And you may not need to be on it a long time. Um, so that's something I always put out there. As we get older, we can also have higher risk of developing obstructive sleep apnea. And that's a medical sleep condition where the muscles of the upper airway, typically the tongue falls back, you snore, you stop breathing, you gasp, you choke. And I always encourage women um, because the medical field, the medical practice as a whole is really gender biased. So a woman will come in, she's tired, uh, maybe she's overweight or maybe she's menopausal. She'll tell her doctor, you know, I'm, I'm tired, I'm fatigued, maybe I have some mood disturbances. Guess what? She'll have her thyroid checked. Maybe she'll get a script for an antidepressant and sent to a therapist. A man, same thing, maybe tired, maybe depressed, maybe anxious, you know, mm. you name it, comes in with fatigue, gets an order for a sleep test. Why is that? Well, because, you know, doctors aren't trained in sleep typically, um, and they just don't realize that women can have obstructive sleep apnea. So age-related, as we get older, our muscles of the upper airway get more floppy, so higher rates above the age of 50. But then as we go through mm -hmm. menopause, losing the estrogen and the progesterone, right, things just start to sag, unfortunately. And so if you think of your tongue sagging, relaxing, and closing off at night, that is, you know, a big reason why we can have difficulty staying asleep. Yeah. So that's big, I would say. And then for women going through menopause, those changes in hormones, the hot flashes, you know, those are really uncomfortable, especially yeah. if they're at night. Sometimes women are so wet, you know, the, the hot flash, the sweat's so strong, you actually have to change your clothes, right? You got to get out of bed. Yeah. So it's it's just good stuff coming is what you're saying. Yeah, it's good stuff. But I would say is that I think... At the end of the day, more people are talking about yeah, it, you know, yeah. as, as you said, you know, in, in the intro, you know, things that your mom didn't teach you about getting dressed and getting ready, right? You know, I don't even know how old my mom was when she went through menopause or, you know, I remember my aunt talking about a hot flash, but, you know, there's not a lot of information, um, you know, when I was growing up about it and even the same thing about menopause and going through medical school, right? 
if you take a look at how much we learned about it, and you know, half the population are women, there's just a, not a lot of tender love and care put towards women's health in general. And so that's really why I'm here. I, I like talking about this because A, if your doctor doesn't know about it or says, oh no, you're not a good candidate because you have high blood pressure, go talk to someone else. You know, there's a whole society called the North American Menopause Society, and they'll take a look at you from really a holistic standpoint and really, you know, get to the bottom of your symptoms. You know, is this just a change in, you know, hormones? Do you just need more sleep? Is there too much stress? Or do you need a sleep study, right? Or is it a thyroid issue? I mean, it, or it could be honestly all of the above, which I've seen as well. Yeah. So it's really finding a good healthcare practitioner that'll sit with you and talk to you and make you feel better. Yeah. That is kind of the secret to life, right? Finding yeah. somebody who listens to you and takes mm-hmm. you seriously and and is sometimes willing to dig a little bit deeper or look at mm-hmm. things in a different way. That's another yeah. episode. We're gonna um, <laughs> we're gonna do one on that. What are some good sleep habits that we should start doing like today? My number one sleep tip, Jennifer, is always just prioritize it. You know, think about it a little bit more than, you know, maybe your other health habits. Uh, There's this doctor that I follow on Instagram, and she posted something about um, a research study where they took a look at sleep, nutrition, and exercise, and how those three sort of general health um, topics or health pillars impacted someone's mental health. Guess which one came out as the most important one? I'm going to guess sleep. Yeah, I'm biased, but it is, right? Because guess what? If you don't get enough sleep, you don't have enough energy to move your body to make healthy nutrition choices. I almost think it's so simple, but we don't emphasize, right? We Doctors only learned about sleep for like, you know, two hours, right? That, that hustle culture is still really strong. I mean, I, I feel like the algorithm that I subscribe to is really pro-sleep. <laughs> so a lot of the feeds that I'm getting, but... Yeah, I just think that there needs to be more conversations around this. So really prioritize sleep and then find out where you are along those seven to nine. You know, are you someone that really needs, you know, that eight hours of sleep or, you know, could you get away with seven hours? And if you are still tired or if you're needing to drink more coffee or feeling, you know, drowsy driving, start slow, right? Can you create micro habits, micro changes around that? Can you get off of your phone five, 10 minutes um, earlier than you know you normally do? I mean, ideally, it'd be great if you get off an hour, right? And if you could really just spend the last hour of your day winding down for yourself, whatever that looks like. Um, but yeah, prioritize sleep. Find out how much sleep that you need, right? Sleep is your fuel. Are you filling your tank completely um, so that the next day you have enough energy to do what you need to do and make the world a better place? And then your internal clock, your circadian rhythm, finding out how much sleep you need and can you match that to your internal clock? Yeah, I would say those are sort of my big three tips. Something that you said just struck me as, as you were talking about the hustle culture. And I thought as a society, we actually look at sleep as a weakness. It's not just like, it's a weakness. Yeah. Like laziness, right? Yeah. You know, that whole like, I'll sleep when I'm dead thing. Oh, okay, cool. But, you know, we look and maybe I'm guilty of it too. I, we look at people who like to sleep and need to sleep as not as productive or, you know, what? it's really pretty messed up. Yeah. Oh, I definitely know. And I was thinking about that too. Because when I was little, 
I would sleep, I think, on the weekends till like 10 or something or 11. And it's like my parents would be like, you're not doing anything. You should, you know, I'm like, well, it's the weekend. What do you want me to do? You know, like, but at the end of the day, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, kids need more sleep. A lot of, you know, kids are sort of guilty of this. They're overscheduled as well. And so if they're needing to sleep until noon on the weekend, you know, maybe that's a sign that, you know, they're not getting no sleep during the week. So. Well, that's interesting. I, there've been discussions about when different ages get that good sleep right? And I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they say that teenagers get that good, deep, restorative sleep like later in the night, earlier in the morning. Yeah, And it's it's a big reason here, our high school and our elementary school change start time. So our elementary school, my little one is out by like 720. Um, and then her sister doesn't go for, you know, a full hour, hour and a half after that, because they found that, that high schoolers who have later start times have way higher SAT scores. But the only thing that changed was the start time. And so I have had to really, like, if my daughter is, is still sleeping at 10, 1030, like I just fight everything in me not to be like, come on, let's greet the day. Let's get going. Come on. It's family fun time or chore time or whatever. And just be like, this is what she needs. And she is one of those kids who's super duper busy. And if she, she can sleep on a Saturday, I just have to let her. But it does take everything in me to prioritize her sleep and not not just barge in there and, and you know, make her go to the grocery store with me because because <laughs> that's something, you know, that's productive. No, that's really interesting. So there's a shift in our clocks as we go through puberty. So if like the younger one is able to get up earlier and then usually it's around puberty where sometimes the clock can shift where the kids start to become a little bit more night owls. And yeah, I mean, it's good that your state has really um, looked into that because there are improvements in performance um, with kids starting earlier. Yeah. And then college happens, right? And then they can just pick their classes. They just pick the evening classes. And then guess what? Then they're in their real jobs and then they're coming to my office like, I need Ambien. You know, I need a sleepy pill. I can't sleep. And it's like, really? Oh, man. Which, you know, it's knowing how much sleep you need and then knowing internal clock so that it goes back to, okay, you know, let's talk about your habits at night. How much light are you getting? How much light are you getting in the morning? And so, yeah, definitely during the winter months, getting more sunlight in the morning will help you feel sleepier earlier and I'll shift the clock back. Yeah. I think if you can match up your circadian rhythm with mm-hmm. your need for sleep. That's like the dream. <laughs> that's the dream. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. You know, the pandemic made a lot of things truly, truly horrible. But I do think a lot of people have been able to let go of the commute, you know, have more flexibility. And if if that led to people sleeping better, well, then I'm going to, you know, it's not going to make up for all the bad stuff. But Right. I, I, I'll i find a silver lining. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. I agree. 100%, Jennifer. All right. So uh, the last question I'd like to ask everybody is, what's the one thing you would like every woman who's listening to take away from our conversation today? Oh, that's a great question. I would say with all the advice out there for health and wellness for sleep, you know, give yourself some grace right? You know, you're doing the best that you can and love yourself through this process. Um, Especially if you're someone who's going through those hormonal changes, it definitely can be really uncomfortable, but know that you're not alone. No, you know, find a good clinician, find a good doctor who really is there to listen to you. And there's a lot of great communities, just like the community that Jennifer created. So reach out and talk to someone. 
it doesn't have to be that bad. Yeah. Great. Great advice. Great advice. Okay. So I know that you have something special for our listeners. It's a download. Can you tell us all about it? And then we'll put the link in the show notes so everyone can go grab it. Yeah, thank you. So thinking about how I can best help women, and there's such a big sea of misinformation out there. So I created a checklist of um, questions that you can bring to your doctor or your nurse practitioner if you're chronically exhausted. So it goes through things like, you know, what lab tests do I need to be, you know, ordered? What medical conditions could I potentially have? Some lifestyle questions, and do I need to see a specialist? Um, you know, sort of today's day and age when we go see our physician or, you know, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, we don't have much time. And if we have like, you know, a lot of things going on and, you know, maybe you're saying you're tired, you can't sleep or you're exhausted, the doctor will start to roll his eyes because then he's worried about your, your mammogram, right? Your colonoscopy, because those are measures that, you know, the government really looks at. So if you're someone who's chronically exhausted or maybe just looking to improve your energy levels, take a look at this checklist and I think you may sort of find it helpful because it maybe expands sort of, you know, the things that potentially could be impacting your energy that you may not previously have known about. Yeah. I downloaded that checklist. It's so, so, so good. I would recommend every woman just like bring it to your doctor, have a conversation about it. And I believe in being a big advocate for yourself when you go into a doctor's office armed with the questions that you want to ask. I know we always forget things when we're in there. You're like, oh, shoot. In that seven minutes, I really wanted to talk about all these things. <laughs> so it's a really, really, really good checklist. So I encourage everyone to go download that. The link is in our show notes along with the links to every place that we can that we can find you. But just real quickly, tell them where to go. Yeah, so sleepphoria.com is my website, it's my platform, and all the resources there are completely free. Um, I have a lot of articles, and if you join my newsletter, you'll be really up to date on all the free events that I'm having. So I'll be talking later this month about sleep myths, I'll have a live Q&A. I like to do like two webinars a month and completely free because I want women to just have this information because, you know, a well-rested woman has the energy, clarity, and drive to change the world. And it'll just be a beautiful place. I love that. And I found you on Instagram. Where can they find you on Instagram? Oh yeah. Instagram. Um, Sleepphoria Health is um, my, my Instagram handle. Okay. Again, all those links in the show notes. Don't worry about writing anything down. Thank you so much for being with us today. You just shared so, so, so much valuable information that I know that I know every woman that who's listening can take something away that will help her sleep better and be ready to change the world as you say. So Dr. Val, thank you again for being with us. Everybody, we'll, we'll see you next time. But until then, prioritize your sleep. Let's all get just a little bit more sleep and, and see what a huge difference it makes. So again, Dr. Val, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Sleep well, everyone. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to head over to our website for any links, downloads, or resources we talked about during the show. Go to youreverydaystyle.com and click on podcast to find the episode you're looking for. While you're there, make sure you sign up for our weekly emails. We won't spam you, but you will get style tips and links to some of our favorite products to help make it even easier to love the way you look. You deserve that. 